0: John chapter 10, we're going to read um, all the way to verse 30, all the way to verse 30. John chapter 10, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the portereth openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers." This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out. And find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth, because he is a hiring, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep have I, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath a devil, and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others say, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? This is a different occasion, but I wanted to continue reading here. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt, if thou be the Christ Tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told ye, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And this is the reading of God's word, and all his children say, Amen. Amen. Um, we read quite a bit this morning. Our deacon read from um, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 34, and he also read from uh, um, excuse me, Exodus 34 and Deuteronomy 22. And I wanted to set all that before us here because you can take Exodus, excuse me, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34. Uh, He also read Deuteronomy 22, 1 through 4. Let me step back. I apologize for that. He read from Ezekiel 34 this morning. And we do a lot of reading because I think it's helpful for us to appreciate much of what the scripture has to say about the good shepherd, which of course is Christ. There are many other places all scattered throughout the Bible which speak about Christ as the shepherd. We certainly don't have time to read all of them, but um, Ezekiel 34 is probably the most important one because you can take that and you can plunk it right over the gospels and see that everything that was said in there applies directly to what we're reading about here in the gospels. I also had him read from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 1 through 4, because it talks about what you should do when you see your neighbor's ox or his ask or a sheep astray. You should take them back to the owner. And if you're not close to the owner, then you should bring them into your house as it said there and take care of them until such time as they could be restored to the owner. Well the uh, uh, application should be very obvious to us in terms of what the shepherds of Israel should have been doing in terms of God's sheep that were amongst them. They should have taken care of them, they should have fed them, they should have provided for them until such time as Christ came and then delivered them over to his hand. But that of course they they did not do. Um, it also speaks about this in um, Exodus 23, verse 5, which I did not have him read. In Exodus 23, 5, it says, If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden, and wouldest forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help him. In other words, even if you see the, uh, the animal, the beast of burden of somebody that hates you, obviously there's enmity between the two of you, you should still go help the animal anyway. So there's no way around, um, no legal way around, what the um, shepherds of Israel should have been doing in terms of taking care of God's people. The law required that they would do it, but certainly common sense and any sense of uh, morality would dictate what should have been done. You know, the scripture says, "'When thou seest to do good and doest it not, "'it is sin unto you.'" So these these shepherds, these uh, Pharisees in particular here, who we are speaking to and about, were remiss. They were violating the law and not caring for God's um, people. So as we go forward here, so that we can understand this metaphor, this parable that the Lord is using here, and it says it in verse 6, this parable spake Jesus unto them. He's using language that they should appreciate and understand to teach them spiritual truths about himself in particular. So what was a sheepfold uh, during the time of Christ? Well, it was typically a structure with a stone wall with one door and around the edges of it, on the top of it, usually were thorns of some kind to make it difficult and very unpleasant for somebody to try to go over the walls to get to the sheep. And so when the shepherd went to go um, gather their sheep, the sheep were kept in the um, fold at night, um, he would go to the door, which was guarded by a porter who would sleep with the sheep overnight to make sure that nobody did climb over and try to steal any of the sheep. He would go and present himself to the porter. The porter would open the door. He would then go in and he would call for his sheep, which would know his voice, and he would know them by name. Now, that might sound peculiar, but we have three dogs here, and all three of those dogs know our voice. And they all have names, and when we call them, that dog in particular will look and make some eye contact. And we'll, we both understand that we're communicating with that dog um, by name, and that dog will recognize her voice. You can go to the park, you can have two dogs with the same name, but they will recognize the voice of their Master. And so the same thing is true in Christ's day. And so one of the uh, commentaries I was reading, which was written in the 1800s, speaking about something the author had observed, he saw how that when, they, uh, when the shepherds, plural, went to the um, sheepfold, all the sheep were let out, and there was just a confusion, uh, jumble of all these sheep mixed up. And as the shepherds would go in different directions, calling to their sheep, then there was some kind of organization that took place amongst all these sheep, and one line went one direction, and one line went another direction. And so it is with our Lord Jesus Christ. When He comes to the sheepfold, He opens the door is open to Him, and then He leads His sheep out. Um, so it's clearly speaking about people. You'll recall when he, um, our deacon read uh, Ezekiel thirty-four, the last verse specifically stated that the flock, the sheep, are men. We're not left to guess here about, uh, you know, typical uh, spiritual metaphorical language. The sheep are men. And the Lord went through that. We know that in Isaiah um, 53, 6, it says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We are like, we are indeed the Lord's sheep as the language is used in here. So the leadership of Israel with respect to God's sheep are not doing what they have been told to do. Now, not only are they not doing what they've been told to do, but it's actually worse than that. Ezekiel 34 is an indictment against them. Not only are they not feeding God's sheep, but they're actually scattering God's sheep. They are spiritually killing the sheep by feeding them false doctrine and false gospels. They encourage a false gospel which uh, endorses a salvation methodology which relies on the works of men. It's based on self righteousness, which the Lord says all all our works of righteousness are as filthy rags. In Ezekiel 34, they are feeding themselves, they are not feeding the flock, and they are likened unto it, says they clothe themselves with wool. They clothe themselves with wool. In other words, they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. And so, again, not only are they not doing what they should do, but they're really doing that which is the antithesis of what God would have them to do. They are consuming the sheep. Now, the Lord in uh, Ezekiel 34 says many times, he says it at least four times in verse eight alone, that the flock belongs to him. He uses the word, my flock. The flock belongs to him. And he will hold these false shepherds accountable. And I want us to appreciate that this applies not only to the Lord's time and all throughout the history of national Israel, but applies today. The uh, church, I put that in quotes, is rampant with false teachers that build their own kingdoms, seek their own glory, feed them themselves, you know, financially building up themselves with their own little mini empires, empires at the expense of God's sheep. So it, it applies today. And just as it was applied in the Lord's day, it applies now. God will deliver them, deliver his sheep from false pastors, from false preachers, false teachers, and he's going to deliver them from national Israel, as we're going to see here as we go through the scriptures here. He will search out and he will seek for his sheep. And we see him doing that from the moment the gospels open up until he goes to the cross, calling his people, going out and seeking them out. He will gather them. Scripture says he will feed them. He will water them. He will give them good pasture. He will cause them to lie down, meaning rest. And this he will do through one shepherd. In verse 23 of Ezekiel 34, he speaks of God's servant, David, in verse 23. He's going to do this through his servant, David. He's going to be the one shepherd over Israel. Context meaning spiritual Israel. Now, King David was dead approximately 370 years before um, Ezekiel, by God's hand, penned that particular scripture. So he's clearly not talking about King David. It's obviously speaking about the Messiah to come, which is Jesus. And we can appreciate also that which is written in Psalm 23 about what the good shepherd will do. And we see Christ doing that here in the Gospels. Now, recall back in John chapter 6, we see that Jesus... Needs 5,000 men besides women and children. What is he doing? He's feeding the sheep. In particular, it says in there in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he makes them to sit down. In, John, in uh, Ezekiel 34 and in Psalm 23, verse 2, he maketh us to sit down. He maketh us to lie down. He takes us to green pastures and puts us there and makes us sit down because we, like sheep, would go astray. We're not going to pay attention. So we need him to um, compass our heart um, and cause us to focus on him and to feed from him. When we get to John chapter 6, in addition to that feeding of the 5,000, we get all sorts of uh, good doctrinal truths. We learn about the sovereignty of God and about how people come to God and who comes to God. No man can cometh unto the Father unless the Son which God has sent draw them. God has to draw them. No man can come to the Son unless the Father which has sent him draw him. Nobody can come to the Son unless God... Uh, draws us to the Son, and the Son presents us to the Father. We also learn in John chapter 6 that Jesus is the bread of God. So hungry people feed on Christ. In John chapter 4 and John chapter 7, we learn that thirsty people drink from Jesus. And of course, from the um, Olivet Discord, we can appreciate that. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, meaning hunger and thirst after Christ. And so that righteousness, the satisfaction of that spiritual hunger and thirst can only be satisfied in Christ himself. So he is the meat and he is the drink of his sheep. Now in John chapter 8, we saw that the religious leaders of national Israel are of their father, the devil. They are murderers and they are liars. They do Satan's work and Satan's Bidding. So, in the context here in John chapter 10 about the shepherds, the Pharisees are the bad shepherds of national Israel. They are feeding themselves, they are not feeding the flock, they are um, scattering them. Now, in John chapter 9, we saw that the way the Pharisees responded to the healing of the blind beggar proved that they were of their father, the devil. So all of these um, sections of the Bible are all tied together. John from 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 through 10, they're all tied together. So in John chapter 9, we saw that this Pharisees were indeed bad shepherds and that they were of their father, the devil, because of the way they responded to the healing of that blind beggar. Incidentally, he wouldn't be begging if they were feeding him as God told them they were supposed to do. So they proved that they are of their father, the devil. Now, here we are in John chapter 10, and we're going to see that the blind beggar is an example of one of God's sheep in the sheepfold of national Israel. And the Pharisees in our narratives are the shepherds of national Israel, whom the Lord spoke against in Ezekiel 34, and they were contrasted with the true shepherd of spiritual Israel, which of course is Jesus. These shepherds, the Pharisees, they feed themselves. They have politically advanced themselves. No doubt, they have been currying favor amongst the Romans at the expense of the people. They are pressing the people. Not only are they are pressing them physically, but they are pressing them certainly spiritually. Now, you recall that they express concern of losing their personal glory. Um, by the fact that all the people seem to be following Jesus. And they express concern when they say the Romans might take our place away if this were to continue. So what's the solution? Kill the shepherd. Let's kill Jesus, whom people are following. Um, so again, showing themselves to be murderers. Now, Scripture uses the term thieves and robbers. Those words have subtly different meanings. A thief is somebody who takes something by subtlety, by um, by deception. And, of course, we know that that certainly fits the description of Satan himself, who is more subtle than any beast of the field. Robbers do things, according to Scripture, uh, in a violent way. They're the ones who would mug you, would put a gun on your side, hit you over the head, and take your things. So we're going to see here that um, a particular Pharisee um, does that very thing. Um, So they are thieves and robbers. They desire to keep the sheep from feeding on Christ. And we see that in many places. They try to turn the people away from Christ and back to themselves. They seek disciples of their own. And Scripture uses that language in the book of Acts where it talks about how people will um, try to get disciples after themselves. And the Lord uses that kind of language in 1 Corinthians when he says one is of Cephas, one is of Paul, You know, one is of Apollos. No, no, it's not a house divided. There's no... There should be no disciples of anybody except Christ himself in any church. You should never be a disciple of a particular pastor or a particular teacher of any human, only of Christ himself. So back to these uh, Pharisees here, we can see that um, they endeavor to turn people away from Christ um, and they try to find fault in him uh, throughout the course of the Gospels. They try to find sin in him, which they can never... uh, which can never be held to his account. How many times have they gone after him for healing on the Sabbath day? And the Lord uses that example of a shepherd when he says to them, hey, which one of you on a Sabbath day will not lead your ox or ass to provender on the Sabbath day? The sheep have to be tended seven days a week, 24 hours a day. They have to be taken care of. And the Lord will do that as we see him healing people on the Sabbath day. He doesn't do that just to provoke them. He does that to teach that he is the good shepherd and that um, they must be cared for all the time. And so he plops that um, uh, hypocritical example in front of them by saying, hey, aren't you doing the same thing on the Sabbath day when you care for your own things? Well, I'm God. I'm the shepherd. These are my sheep, and I will care for them, and I will heal them on the Sabbath day. Interestingly enough, we know that the Sabbath day is the seventh day of the week, but the church observes the Sabbath day on Sunday, and that's when we come and we feed on the Lord. So it is not a day of rest for those that are in ministry because they are tending to the Lord's sheep. I, as a pastor, I think of myself as a water boy. I bring water to the Lord's sheep. I bring food to the Lord's sheep, and that was what the Lord has set for me to do. Now, just as the Lord has warned Uh, the leadership of national Israel, so too do we read in the book of Acts warnings to the churches of today. In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 and 29, it says here, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock. Using the same language, he's speaking of people in the church as the flock. Over the which... The Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. So in other words, where does the authority come from to be a shepherd or an under-shepherd of the sheep? It comes from God himself. It comes from the Holy Ghost. Lots of people have called themselves to the ministry without receiving a call from God, and that is wrong. It has to be from God himself. So we read there, um, to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Here it's telling us we know that Christ died on the cross. He's telling us that Christ is God and he purchased the church. He owns the sheep. Ezekiel 34. Four times he says that in one verse, my flock, my flock, my sheep they're owned by God. Verse 29, for I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock just as we read in Ezekiel 34 about them closing themselves with wool. They are uh, wolves among wearing sheep's clothing. So too, can you expect to find that in the church? So the application, of course, is to us today. You have to pay attention to what is being said by the um, under-shepherd. I'll put that in quotes because you have to ascertain, is it truly a shepherd of God? Am I being fed Christ? Am I being fed doctrinal truths that come directly from scriptures? Um, If not, Don't listen here. So, however, if you're one of the sheep, the solution is the same as it has always been. God will find you and he will remove you from that church and call you unto himself. Now, as we sung in the hymns this morning, one of the things we should be able to appreciate here is the religious trials that people suffer in their Christian walk and their Christian life. Christians... um, Speaking of myself in particular, I've passed through a number of churches and left them for different reasons, but almost always I have left because the pastor was not preaching the truth, Um, because the pastor was engaging in deception in in various ways. Um, As a matter of fact, three of the last four churches, the pastor was lying to the congregation, And I left those churches for that that reason. So feeding themselves, building up their own, preserving their own ministry. They're concerned about their paycheck, and they're not concerned so much about the Lord's sheep. If they would tend to the Lord's sheep, he would make sure that they'll be okay financially. He'll take care of them. He says that. A workman is worthy of his uh, reward. Now, as the good shepherd, Jesus will lead us to provender and water in himself. And we read about that in First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-five, where the Lord says, "For ye were as sheep, going astray." That's First Peter two twenty-five. Ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the Shepherd and Bishop of your souls. And that, of course, is Christ. Why are you returned to Him? Because He went out and got us and brought us back. Now, all of this is simply by way of introduction before I actually get into the specifics of John chapter 10, and I want to do that now. I want to uh, go to verse 1 here, and let's look at it in, in more detail here. But again, everything that we've read and talked about has to do with Christ, and it should be representative of your personal experience. So in the first couple of verses there, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not... By the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way. The same is a thief and a robber. But he that entreth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, who is he speaking to here? Well, he's speaking the you that he's speaking to here, I say unto you, he's speaking to the remnant of Israel. He's speaking to people that will hear his voice. The Bible is written not to unbelievers, but to believers, absent the Holy Ghost. You can't understand the Bible. So he's speaking to people that will understand. The he that he's speaking of here, he that entereth not by the door, well, he's speaking of the Pharisees. Those are up in verse 40 of uh, chapter 9. They are thieves and robbers that we already talked about in Ezekiel 34. They are thieves and robbers. With deceit and with violence, they kill the sheep. The Pharisees do not understand what he's saying, They do not understand who God's sheep are. They are the strangers made reference to in this parable here. In verse 6, we read, they don't understand. In verse 26, he tells them, "Um, you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. And there's divisions among them when he's speaking to them in verse 19. So you've you've got two groups of people here. You have sheep and then you have everything else. And so the uh, the, um, uh, Pharisees represent both Um, bad shepherds of national Israel, and they are not God's sheep. So they don't understand what he's trying to tell us here. Now, here's the interesting thing about grace. What Pharisee do we know who scattered the flock, murdered the sheep, wasted the church, persecuted the saints, and yet found grace? Paul. Paul. It was the Apostle Paul. (laughs) And so there is always grace to be found in the Lord. We do not know who God's sheep are. We don't know when he's going to call them. And I don't, never knew when the Lord would call me, but now looking back, I certainly know when he did call me. Um, and I was one of his sheep, though I ridiculed Christians, made fun of them. The Lord nevertheless flipped me on my head and called me unto himself. I heard his voice as indeed all his sheep do. So we see the Apostle Paul, He obtained mercy because he was one of God's sheep. And in the context of our scriptures here, he became sort of like a shepherd. He'd never pastored a church, but he fed the sheep and he cared for them. And he talked about carrying the burden of the sheep upon his heart uh, through uh, continually prayers and tears unto the Lord. So as we read this, we don't know who God is going to save, but he does have mercy on men, regardless of how awful they appear to us. Now, when Jesus came to the sheepfold, and in the context here, this sheepfold he's talking about represents national Israel because he's going to call people out of it. People don't go out and into this sheepfold. He's going to call them out of it. And that's what he talks about here is, is, is leading people out. Now, when he came, he did so lawfully. He entered in through the door. The porter opened the door to him. The porter announced him to the sheep and the sheep to him. Quarter in context here obviously represents the Holy Ghost speaking through the prophets to the hearts of the people. He came lawfully. Galatians chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 4. Galatians 4, 3 through 5 says, Even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, what have we been talking about here in terms of the Feast of Tabernacles? People were in bondage, and that's why they do, um, that's why they observe the Feast of Tabernacles to remember about the Lord bringing them out from the house of bondage. Galatians four says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So Christ came in the fullness of time, made of a woman, made under the law. He came lawfully. All Scripture from beginning to end, points to Jesus. It speaks of him, and again, given the Holy Ghost, we should understand that, we should appreciate that. We should know that he was going to come through a virgin birth. That's how he came. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost, and yet he was of the seed of David according to the flesh. No other shepherd can make that claim. The timing of when he was going to come was set forth in the book of Isaiah, plus Daniel, Plus Ezra, you have to connect the dots, and it tells that he was going to come and that he would go to the cross in 33 AD. That's when Christ came. The scripture tells us what things he would accomplish, and he indeed accomplished all of those things. He fulfilled everything. When he came, his birth was announced by the angel of the Lord. In Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, it says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, that would be the shepherds watching their flocks by night, And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In that very statement, the Lord is saying, Hey, Christ has come. That's where he was born. It's happened right now. And not only that, this is not just for national Israel. We're going to include the Gentiles in this too. Spoiler alert for the Israelites. This is going to include the uh, Gentiles too, and he's going to, the Lord's going to uh, talk about that also here in John chapter 10. Christ circumcised on the eighth day. He was baptized by John the Baptist, so he fulfilled the obligations required for priesthood. He was anointed by God on high. He fulfilled the requirements to be the king. His ministry was announced by God in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. A voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist, who was a prophet, points to Christ, tells us who he is, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus has said a number of times his works testify who he is. Jesus tells us who he is. So he's done everything that could possibly be done to uh, help us appreciate that he entered in lawfully, that he is the shepherd of the sheep. So he enters into the fold of Israel to lead his sheep out. He does so lawfully, and he enters through the door which the porter opened unto him. He is the shepherd, again spoken of by Ezekiel, the prophet of God. Now, in verses 3 and 4. To him the portereth open, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I hope you can appreciate the doctrine of limited atonement. There's lots of sheep in that fold. He's only calling his own sheep. He's not calling all of the sheep, he's not leading all the men out, he's calling his own sheep. So we see in here the doctrine of limited atonement. Now, there are lots of examples of the Lord calling his own sheep. We see that throughout the Gospels. One or a couple of them really stand out. Remember Saul on the road to Damascus going to uh, persecute more people? Um, The Lord calls him by name, calls him Saul. Saul, why dost thou persecute me? Um, He changes his name. The Lord knows their name. I'm sorry you didn't have the right name. It's not Saul. It's Paul. Does he not do the same thing with Simon Peter? He calls him Cephas. He calls him as well. He calls Matthew. He calls Nathan when he's under a fig tree through the other disciple, Philip. And so that's how he calls people this day is through us going out into the world and preaching the gospel. He calls Zacchaeus by name when he's in the sycamore tree. Zacchaeus, this day salvation has come to thy house. The most notable example of whom the Lord calls is Lazarus himself. In John chapter 11 Verses 43 and 44 calls Lazarus by name. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with great clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Lazarus heard his voice. He knew his shepherd. He knew the call of his shepherd. And Lazarus heard Jesus call to him. And Lazarus was obedient as a sheep should be. And he came forth from uh, the grave. And we appreciate that as indicative of about how we are all saved when the Lord calls us. We are dead in trespasses and sin. Can't do anything. But we heard his voice nevertheless. And so all that come to Christ do so because he called them. We heard his voice we believed it, and we obeyed the call. And so it is with the blind beggar of John chapter 9, which we just have been reading about. He obeyed what the Lord said. The Lord told him in verse 7 of chapter 9, go wash in the pool of Siloam. That he did. We saw something similar back in John chapter 5 when the Lord came to the um, Bethesda and healed the man that uh, by the pool there. He told him to get up, and go and pick up your bed and walk, and he did that very thing. Um, He heard his voice. Jesus knew. He walked by all sorts of people that were there, and he went to the one that was his sheep and told them to get up and go, and that he did. So that's what the Lord is doing in our Gospels here. He's calling people out of national Israel, and they are following him. And in verse 5 here it says, "...and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers." So as soon as this fellow had um, received his sight, of course, he's put under trial. And the trials and the persecutions immediately begin for the Christian. And they start to ramp up as time goes on here. And they endeavor to get him to deny Christ and to, uh, they try to get him to suggest to him that Christ is a sinner. That's in verse 24 of John chapter 9. Then again, called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He does not deny Christ, he does not hear the voice of these false shepherds. He does not obey them. He does not follow them, but yet he sticks to his testimony of Christ. And what happens in verse 34? It says, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins. They castigate him, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Christ, through the instrumentality of other men, has brought this man out of national Israel. (laughs) He is far better for it. Now, he shared with us that last week, that if you get tossed out of a church for preaching the truth and teaching the truth, that's a good thing. It's indicative that Christ is working in you and through the people around you to put you out, to show you the door. And that's what they did to this individual. God worked through the instrumentality of these men to bring him out of the sheepfold of national Israel. Now, the Lord, again, as I said, has done this for all of us. At some point, everybody here was called out of either a false church or out of their own um, humanistic construct of religion. Everybody has figured out uh, what is right in their own eyes in terms of the vehicle and methodology by which they might approach Christ. And if it's humanistic, it's through works. Every religion on this planet, with the exception of Christianity, involves some form of works either physical works uh, that you're engaged in, which they would call works of charity in the Catholic Church, or it's a mental um, ascension, that you will think and believe a certain thing uh, that you might aspire to a higher level of spirituality. Only in God's um, uh, economy is a person saved exclusively by the work of God, exclusively by his grace. And um, Lord willing, we'll get to that. in a few moments here. Now, um, verse seven and eight. Things are gonna shift a little bit here. Uh, Then said Jesus unto them again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now notice here, he's not saying, I'm the door of the sheepfold, saying I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. So we can appreciate here that the Lord um, leads to the door of himself. Now, in the context of what we're talking about here, there's a door that leads to life, the narrow way, the straight gate, and a door that leads to death, the broad way. In Matthew chapter seven, verse 13 and 15, it speaks about that. It says, enter ye at the straight gate, that would be Christ, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. The Lord is setting that clue before us here, speaking of the false prophets, speaking of the false teachers, scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests of Israel. They are ravening wolves. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They're covered with wool, as we read about in Ezekiel 34 and they are leading you down the broad way. They're leading you unto uh, death. And so, not so with Christ, not so with his under-shepherds, which feed true doctrine, which means to feed people Christ. They go through the straight and the narrow gate, which leadeth unto life. Um, Now in verse 9, and I'm going to finish with verse 9 there, he says, I am the door. That's the second time already he's used the term, I am, which is God's name. He's going to use it four times total in this section here. He's going to use it again in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. And I hope we who are his sheep can appreciate that he's declaring his divinity time and time again. He's telling these people that he is God. And so when they get down to verse 24, which again is another occasion, this is the, um, that would be during the wintertime, and we're still at the Feast of Tabernacles, He said, they say, if thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Okay, he's told them plainly many, many times, and he's telling them plainly again here. But in verse 9, he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Here, in verse 9, he's talking about the door to salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So in this door here, he's telling the people that he is the vehicle by which people can approach um, God. And it says here, I am the door by me, meaning you can't enter the door any other way than by him. It's not a door that you walk through by yourself. It's the door, a door that the Lord has to bring you through. You'll recall in the um, Gospels, the Lord talks about and I think it's in uh, Luke chapter 15 it is. He talks about going and finding a lamb and putting it on his shoulders and carrying it back to the fold. He says in verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, He layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. The sheep's not going to find its way back. He's got to go get it, and he's got to put it on his shoulders and bring it back. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And so there is rejoicing in heaven. Verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So here we are in John 10, 9. He is the door and it is by him that the sheep enter in. Now he says here, if any man, he doesn't say if Israelites enter in. Again, now he's broadening it so we can appreciate that this includes the Gentiles. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. And that, of course, is by grace through faith in him. And they shall go in and out and find pasture. Now they go in and out. How? Because they're led by the shepherd. How did the shepherd of Israel enter into the presence of God after his incarnation? He did it through his own blood. So we should appreciate that nobody comes into the presence of God absent the blood of Christ. It says that twice in uh, the book of Hebrews, once in chapter 9 and once in chapter 10. In chapter 9, it talks about entering in through his blood. In chapter 10, it speaks about how he entered in through his flesh. And so again, we have to appreciate, because he's going to talk about here about laying down his life. And the fact that he laid down his life is the only methodology by which men can enter into the presence of God. And so we go in and we go out and we find pasture because we are led to pasture of the Lord. Again, Psalm 23 speaks about how the Lord leads his sheep, about how they find pasture, excuse me, about how he leads them Um, to pasture that they might rest in him I'm trying to find Psalm 23 here Psalm 23 he says the Lord is my shepherd there's no question here in John chapter 10 he's saying that time and time again he is a shepherd the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want you cannot want anything because he's a good shepherd and he knows exactly what we need and again as we read from the hymnals sometimes it's a bumpy road he knows what we need to shape us according to his image and likeness Verse 2, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's namesakes. Verse 4 speaks about how this is a evil world, and yet he leads us, cares for us, and protects us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. It doesn't matter what the world throws at us, and I know we've been uh, had many conversations about the foolishness of this evil world with respect to, I hate to even use the word pandemic, I'm going to call it plandemic, but nevertheless, we as Christians have nothing to fear from the vaccine, we have nothing to fear from masks, we have nothing to fear from lockdowns, we have nothing to fear from any of this, because the Lord is leading us through the valley of the shadow of death. He comforts us. Thou preparedest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Is that not what we do here? The Lord locked everything down, shut down churches, and yet we still met and fed on Christ because he is faithful. He has prepared a table before us in the presence of his enemies. Thou anointest my hand with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is the house of the Lord? It's Christ himself. So I want us to appreciate that the Lord comes and he gets us and he leads us to himself. He provides for us and cares for us every step of the way and we will um, dwell with him in him forever. And we'll close with that and pick it up again next week. Amen. Amen.